This is Elias Moratti from UB Tennis, Level USA, and Quality Shot Tennis on Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, and I'm joined by Mr. Corbett Durant, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm upset. I'm very upset. Why are you upset? Because there's only three Canadian men in the Australian Open side of the draw and two of them face each other. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, we're going to get into that and more because the Australian Open draw has dropped for the 2023 edition. So, to talk us through that and more, as a special guest joining us from LA, he's a former ball kid from the US Open and he is now a broadcaster for the Tennis Channel. It's Gil Gross. Gil, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for including that in my bio. Uh, it's a very important part of of my life, and uh, it, it is often skipped over, and, and that's not right. Hey, you've spent court time. Uh, that needs to be recognized. But tell us a <laughs> bit more about that. Did, did you always? Did you ever imagine that you go from being a ball kid to a calling the games? I suppose I I did hope that that's what would happen, uh, but I've been been lucky enough to work for U.S. Open Radio the last two years as well, and that's been really special because I've you know it means that I've specifically done the the two roles at the U.S. Open and just to be a part of that event. And I grew up in in Westchester, New York, uh, so just about fifty minute drive away from the Billie Jean King Tennis Center. You know, it was always my my home slam. It always meant a lot to me. So to kind of return after my last year of ball boying was 2014 to return in 2021 and get to work the tournament in a broadcast role was really, really special. There we go. And we've seen some special moments at Flushing, none more so than last year where we, we thought we saw the end of Serena Williams' Grand Slam career. Do you think she comes back at some point? I've been saying no to that question, but... At the same time, there's a lot of people who I feel like might know better than me that have been saying yes, like, you know, a, a Chanda Rubin of the world. I mean, she said she didn't have any inside info, but, you know, my perspective has always been that, uh, you know, Serena's position that she either needs to have two feet in or two feet out, and that's how she would need to operate. I kind of subscribe to that. You know, I think that that is... Uh, a really good way for Serena to look at it. And realistically, I don't think she can ever have two feet into tennis ever again. And for that reason, I thought, you know what? I, I believe you. As much as Serena has been coy and a little bit vague about her actual plans in, in stepping away from the sport and she refuses to say that she's retired, uh, I, I still think that the sensible thing for her is to indeed stay retired, and I, I I think I'm leaning that way. But it's it's undeniable that uh, from what she has said, it seems like she's really uh, uncommitted to staying on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's already had one remarkable comeback, which is at a previous Australian Open. So she's if anyone's going to make another one, is her. But signal comebacks. 
yeah, Gil, let's let's get into the first tennis uh, major of the year. Is anyone going to challenge Djokovic? Um, well, maybe his hamstring will challenge him. But uh, in terms of opponents, I mean, the draw that he's been dealt is ideal. It's excellent. My path for him is uh, Dimitrov in the third round, who has not been healthy, has not been playing well. You have Dimonor or Karenio Busta in the fourth round, and both of them are a little bit short on weaponry. Uh, the quarterfinal could be interesting. Everyone has Kyrgios circled. I actually don't think Nick will make it there. We can get into that if you'd like. Runa, Rublev, I actually think it's going to be Rublev, uh, which would be great for Djokovic because Rublev is 0-6 in major quarterfinals and has has tended you know, to, to struggle with the real top guns. You know, he, he avoids Medvedev in his half. He avoids Nadal in his half. Uh, Tsitsipas is not in his half. So... And and look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what his draw would be. He's been the best player in the world for the last four months or so. He's won five out of the last six events that he's played. And there's you know really little reason to go against him other than the fact that a small physical issue has popped up. He cut off practice early yesterday. He kind of struggled in the semifinal against Medvedev. At the same time, it, it seems to me like more of a little kind of nagging thing, a tightness thing, nothing too severe and a lot less severe than what he overcame in 2021 when he had a, what seemed like a pretty serious injury and still won the Australian Open. Do you see Medvedev as his most likely opponent in the final? Medvedev or Tsitsipas. I think Eileen Tsitsipas if, if those two end up playing in the semifinal. Um, I mean, I think there's certainly some, some questions with Stefanos upstairs, you know, mentally, if he's going to bring his best, but he's always played very well in Australia. And the last couple times he's played Medvedev, he's actually played him very, very smart. And he's, he's had an advantage in that head to head because his, he's, uh, he's had really good tactics and he's a good net rusher and he's fast. And those two things, those two attributes can bother Medvedev on occasion. Are you a betting man? Uh, not on tennis, but I will discuss odds. I will talk about betting. Uh, but I, I just, my, myself, I don't wager on tennis, <laughs> but I, I will talk about lines if, if you'd like. Well, how about this? What are the odds we, we hear something controversial out of Leighton Hewitt during this, uh, event? <laughs> uh, that's like a, at least a every other year thing. Uh, has, has he said something already? Oh no, nothing, nothing specific yet, but it just, it feels like it's brewing. I'm sure, I'm sure as we get towards the end of the tournament and people start thinking about Davis Cup that he'll he'll have something to say. <laughs> Nick blindsided Team Australia at the United Cup to start the year, mm-hmm. where uh, you know he he pulled out, and I don't think he I don't think his communication was stellar. I don't think he told his teammates. I don't think he told Leighton, and I don't know how they found out, but they were not happy about that. So there's already been some Hewitt versus Curios friction oh yeah it should be a Hewitt versus curios year i think uh the the curious case of nick curios uh yeah he's he's mercurial talented but he's not liked by his his fans at home well the older fans anyway uh he's definitely he's definitely has his own lane how do you see 2023 for nick curios I see it as being fairly successful as long as he just replicates exactly what he did last year. 
I mean, at this, do I have a little bit of skepticism in general? Because, you know, we've never seen Nick Kyrgios put together two committed seasons of tennis in a row. Yes, that certainly exists. And, you know, when I was doing my top 10 prediction before the year, I left Nick out, not because I don't think he's capable and should be a top 10 player, but just because I have question marks and there's other guys who I have less question marks about. You know, and the injuries, I think, are kind of a repeated concern. This is a bad start to the year in that respect. But ultimately, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyrgios has an, has an excellent season. I do think that for the Australian Open, there are some unique challenges that are going to be presented, particularly the pressure. And I think that leaves Nick in a tough position. He's never gone into a tournament with this much expectation and pressure in his home country of Australia, uh, with the Netflix doc coming out. Uh, and, you know, he hasn't been on court. He's been injured. So I, I think it's a really bad combination for Kyrgios. And I feel like he could get upset in this event. Now, I'll meet you partly along the way there, because I grew up in Australia. I spent a significant part of my life there. I'm not convinced that he's under pressure because again the, the public doesn't like him so i feel like if anything he has less pressure than say if it was if he was american he was playing in the u.s open i feel like if he had more people behind him then he'd feel the pressure because like you said the expectation but because he's so disliked i feel like it almost works in his favor a little bit whereas someone like Djokovic would have more pressure yeah uh that's fair you know that he's controversial he does get good crowd support at the Australian Open. So I think there's kind of a gap between the general public who are writing in Twitter comments and Facebook comments about how they don't like Nick and Nick is a disgrace and, you know, he doesn't behave right. I think there's, there is a population, a difference in population between those people who are leaving comments on the internet and the people who are paying their money and, you know, going to John Kane Arena to watch a Nick Kyrgios match where generally he does have support. Support is good, but, but also what's the internal pressure? For Kyrgios, yes. in terms of just wanting to win at the Australian Open, it, it felt like it it did mean a lot to him when he won the doubles with Kokonakis last year, and now he's focusing on the singles. That's a good point you make, though, about the fact that you know it's not like the entire nation is asking him to win the Australian Open necessarily. Hmm. Yeah. And although making the final at Wimbledon that was a watershed moment, and there will be some sections of the community that will be wanting more, especially now that Ash Barty has exited stage left, the, mm -hmm. the last Australian to win a singles title in Australia. Yeah, I, I personally hope he can win a Grand Slam, ideally this year, but we'll just have to see what happens. Now, just moving over to the women's side of the draw, Kobe and I tend to enjoy this side more because we find it a bit more of a level playing field. What are you seeing in the women's side of the Australian Open? I'm seeing a, a very tough draw for Iga Sviantek in, in full transparency because I have to do my, my preview show on YouTube for, for the men's side. And uh, I've had a busy kind of 24 hours. I've, I've definitely studied the men's draw a little bit more closely than I have the women. But I, I know that that is kind of what, what hit me hardest was just how Iga has a gauntlet. And, um, you know, it's, it's quick conditions and... She ended up dropping a match to Jessica Pagula. So uh, I do think that the odds on favorite is is certainly not as big a favorite as we've seen her 
in the past couple majors. I would I would compare it to Wimbledon, where we weren't sure about Iga's chances at Wimbledon, and she ended up losing in the third round to uh, Elise Cornet. I, I get a f- similar feeling heading into this Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Now, you touched on Jessica Pagula, and she's in the same half as uh, Iga. Pagula is a very synonymous name out here in, in the Toronto-Buffalo region because of the, the Bills. Yeah. Could you see a scenario where Pagula makes the final, wins the Australian Open, and the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl? Is that <laughs> happening or is that sign this guy? Uh, you know, well, look, the the Bills, I would say, have a better chance than Pagula. <laughs> Uh, if I'm just measuring those two up now, they're both you know they're 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 both contenders. Pagula, I think the the criticism with her would have been that you know she she's a quarterfinal machine, a semifinal machine, but she doesn't win the big one at the end of the tournament, and you know that's why that's such a big win against Iga, where I, I think she played a more assertive, aggressive style in that match at the United Cup, and uh, she kind of showed you something there. Look, no one was more consistent other than Iga in 2022 than than Pagula. There's no doubt about that. So she puts herself in the position. She does have quick conditions here, which I think she needs because she doesn't have she doesn't have power so much as she has precision. And uh the the speed of the court helps that precision turn into offense, which is a positive thing for her. I'm excited to see what she does. And I, I think there could be a deep run for Pagula. Well, Watch right. out for Anissa Mova, though, who's in, in her section. Indeed. Indeed, we will watch this space there. Yeah, Gil, you hinted at putting together a top 10 uh, in men's rankings, your personal top 10 for this year. Uh, one of the players I would expect to see on that won't be at the Australian Open. That's um, Carlos Alcaraz. Where, where does he fit in your top 10? And does, does things change now due to the injury? Uh, he's at number two. Uh, things do not change. I think we've seen in, uh, especially in the last couple of years where we haven't had a, we haven't had the, the old kind of big four phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and Murray is included in, in this statement because, you know, he, he was a perennial top four player. Uh, and, and in the rankings, he was a force. His, you know, season long consistency along with Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic made for, you know, really a, a big gap between those four and and everybody else generally speaking in terms of the points distribution now we have an ATP rankings that don't look like that it's a lot more even even though Nadal and Djokovic are still by win percentage even last year the best two players they aren't dominating the entire calendar we've had injuries with Nadal we have Djokovic uh, still set to miss events Miami and Indian Wells are in doubt for for Novak so that's a kind of a long way to stay in terms of the math of the ranking system. I think Alcaraz can miss a major and still be well positioned to finish in the top three. I have him number two. I think there are going to be some growing pains for Alcaraz and the next phase of his development, improving the serve, improving the the patience and making it so that his Bad performances aren't quite as bad, which is something that great players master, the ability to win matches on an off day. I think Carlos is still uh, working at that on that. I think those are the two, but I might be missing something. Oh, and then I guess handling, continuing to learn how to handle expectation. Those three things, it might take him another year to really fine tune those areas. 
and then I think, you know, he'll he'll get back to he'll have more year-end number ones in his future, but I do think it's Novak's year to finish year-end number one. I expect Alcaraz, though, not to have any kind of dramatic dip. I think the talent that he possesses and the game that he has is here to stay as a, a tier one dominant force in the men's game. I don't see him going anywhere. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Is Nadal your number three? Nadal is my number three, and I, I did get some pushback um, in the comments. In fact, that was probably the, the pick that was the, the most controversial because Nadal has not been good in the last seven months that we've mm -hmm. seen from him. Wasn't a good second half to 2022. Uh, it hasn't been a good start to 2023, at least on the win-loss record. But I I have a, a laundry list of explanations for that. And uh, I think that Nadal is going to rekindle his form and have a, a huge clay court season. I think there were physical reasons for his struggles in the tail end of 2022 also, you know, indoor hard courts, he's, he's never been good in those conditions. And now he's come out in 23 and, uh, you know, Demonor and Nori played great matches against Rafa. And I, I wasn't concerned with the level for first matches where you would, you'd expect him to not be at a hundred percent just to start the year. And he, and he wasn't, but I will say the draw is a nightmare. Uh, Jack Draper is a really tough first round. Mm -hmm. Nakashima, in my opinion, is a tough second round. Tiafo beat him at the U.S. Open. That's a potential fourth round. And with Nadal not coming in with a lot of confidence, the serve needs to be better than it's been. That was the major red flag for him in terms of his game in the first couple matches of the year. It's scary coming into this Australian Open for Nadal. And he's absolutely in a vulnerable spot here. My thought is... He'll regain the points, Miami, clay court season, a healthy U.S. Open, or I should say American hard court swing. That's where I think he'll regain the points. But it is likely that that he dips down after this Australian Open because he's in a tough spot here. No, that's fair. It's a fair assessment. And does does a Canadian figure into your list? Uh, a Canadian, yes. Uh, uh, Felix Ojealiasim, who had a massive indoor hard court season to end 2022, I think he is going to settle in here. Settle in not as a tier one player, not on the level of Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, you know, at times Tsitsipas and Medvedev has kind of dipped into this tier one level. Uh, I don't think he's ready to do that. Like maybe some will be tempted to predict for a young player ready to make that step up after, you know, winning those three titles over the course of the indoor hardcourt season and making the, the final eight. I still think there's too many technical issues in Felix's game to get there. However, he should have a more consistent season than he did last year, where he he really disappointed in March. Sunshine Double didn't play well. Clay Court season didn't play well. Wimbledon, first round exit, that was disappointing. He should be really good on grass. Now, by the way, that didn't really factor into the rankings because nobody got any points at Wimbledon. But I expect to see for Felix a more consistent start to finish year. What I don't expect to see from Felix is, you know, he becomes a world beater and starts to win big titles left and right. Okay. I think I, I think I had him finishing number seven, if I'm remembering correctly. 
Now, just staying with the Canadian theme, we've got Leila Fernandez going into this tournament unseated. How do you think she'll go at the Melbourne Park? Well, I, I do like the conditions for, for Fernandez. I think that it's important that she has quick conditions. Again, she's another player. She, she takes time away. I think I said this about Pagula, and Layla's the same way. She takes time away, and she's very accurate. She's a precision player. She changes direction well. Uh, but there's the, the power is where she's at a deficit. So the quick conditions are good in that, in that sense. Elise Cornet in the first round, it's difficult. You know, Cornet always shows up for the majors, always makes a lot of balls. And I expect that to be a very physical match, uh, highly entertaining first round match. Uh, but ultimately I, I actually like Layla there. I think she can get through that one. It's, uh, Garcia in the second round where, especially with the way Caroline Garcia has been serving, probably, uh, probably Layla drops that one if I were to, uh, project her 2023 Australian Open. All right. Fair enough. Now, just taking a wider lens, you've been covering this game for a while. You covered it as a ball kid, as we said at the jump. Now you're a broadcaster. Have you ever seen Canadian tennis at the level that it's at now, where you've got contenders both in the men's and women's tournaments? No, it's it's a it's a golden age. I mean, the women's side, you can say, has been just a a little bit rocky. I mean, you know, with with Andrescu, uh, based on her 2019 season, you'd think, okay, she's going to be a perennial contender at the top of the women's game. Uh, she's had issues both with her mental health and her physical health, and you know, she still has the potential to continue to have big results. But I would say that's been the only negative. But other than that, yeah, it's been a, an enormous positive. Felix and Shapovalov can be top 10 players for, for years to come. Obviously, Felix is already there. Dennis is a little bit behind, but I, I truly think he can get there. And I actually am very curious to see what kind of season Shapovalov has because I, I like what Peter Polanski, his fellow Canadian coach, has uh, has done with his game in the last three, four months or so. That's a ton of talent. And then you have Layla, who has also kind of been disrupted by injuries, but I love Fernandez's attitude and and her fight. And I think there's no doubt that whatever Layla Fernandez's potential is, unless the injuries get in the way, uh, she is going to she is going to fulfill that potential because her work ethic, her drive, her uh, her match toughness is is really really awesome. And by the way, uh, just bonus points. These are some of the most entertaining players in the game. I would say Fernandez is the top ten watch on the WTA tour, especially when she's playing well. And I think Shapovalov is a, a top 10 watch on the ATP tour. So that doesn't uh, hurt either. Yeah, that's, that's always something that's a plus when there's someone who's a winner, but it was also entertaining to watch. It's, uh, it's, you love to see it. You love to see it. And Kobe loves to see it as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because you cover tennis full time, and I'm sure you get a lot of questions about every big event that comes up. Does anyone ever ask you anything really to do with doubles anymore? No, um, hmm. I, I, I would almost racking my brain. You know, I, I do a mailbag on YouTube where I take comments every week and, uh, and I answer them. And that's kind of how I, one of the ways I try to kind of keep my pulse on things. One of the main areas where doubles is brought up is, is should players be playing doubles? Like how does it affect their singles? Mm -hmm. So even the doubles questions are in the framework of, well, what does this mean for the singles? 
you know, so there's there's no doubt about it. it. It's a it's an interesting thing we have in our sport where this product is is not generally pulling a lot of weight. Why do you ask? That's one of the main reasons for it. I mean, it also goes back to the Davis Cup and the fact that they changed the the format and now doubles mm-hmm. in some cases doesn't even play a role. But it it used to have a much bigger effect on tennis. Now it seems almost non-existent, although it's it's happening, you know, as we speak. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of. I I don't know how sustainable this is, honestly. Uh, perhaps it just stays the same way for you know the next many 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 years to come, decades to come. That's that's a potential, but uh, honestly, you know, with with the absence of the Bryan brothers, Serena and Venus playing doubles together, mm-hmm. you know, if if the trend of singles players blowing off doubles continues, I don't know how much longer things stay the same in terms of tournaments and uh, especially the majors supporting and and subsidizing doubles in full. Now, I think there's always going to be doubles existing, especially because on the recreational level, there's a huge place for doubles, Um, you know, as as players age, uh, again, you know, recreational players as they age, they play doubles socially. It's great physically, it's a little bit easier. So I think it's always going to be a part of the sport. But it's interesting you ask that because doubles at the moment is a subsidized entity. It's I don't think it's a money maker. I haven't seen the spreadsheets. I, I haven't seen the specific finances, but I I would bet that is it is a uh, it is a a net loss for tournaments um, who include it in in their event. And I don't know how much longer that can be the case. At a tournament like the Australian Open, are the purses similar? No, they're different, um, but they are they are significant, you know. And the the question becomes: so, I mean, let's look it up. Let's look up um, Australian Open doubles prize money so that we can get an idea here. The question is, you know, ESPN, the, the TV partners. Let's just say the TV partners. Yeah. Is is any of what they're paying to Tennis Australia about doubles? I would say close to it's close to zero percent of the value of that product is doubles. In terms of the ticketed fans, it's it's more significant because I do know people who go to majors and they really enjoy that aspect of of seeing some professional doubles up close. And then you ask the same thing about the sponsors like Kia. Kia is a huge sponsor for the Australian Open. What percent of what Kia is paying to Tennis Australia is actually because of the doubles? I'm trying to pull up, trying to pull this up here. I mean, I, I know in singles women, even a first round loss is you know over a hundred grand. Yeah, it's enormous. <laughs> right? It's just a lose, right? So I'm wondering what it might be in doubles. Uh, the first article I I uh, I clicked on gave me singles, and it didn't give me doubles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's an example. Yeah, yeah, there's an example right there. Exactly. Oh, here it is. All right. So uh, you lose round one in doubles, which is I, – I, it should be noted in tennis what most – competitors do they lose round one 50 yeah. percent uh 30,000 31,000 okay and for singles it's 106,000 <laughs> wow it's a fantastic pay- that's why qualifying is so important that is why and i know you guys know this but you know for the i, I think you guys have you guys have a general sports podcast right correct yeah yeah, so for for anybody who's tuning in who uh, isn't locked in on tennis, the most important thing financially for players is that you just qualify for these majors because you get a huge payday if you do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point because the 
qualifiers just wrapped up this weekend. You could see the the emotion in some of the players. Uh, there was one female player, which I named escapes me, but I could see the pain when she lost the, the last round. Mm-hmm. And that, that's one of the reasons. Now, Gil, we can find you on social media on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. Where else can we find you uh, across social media? Um, at Gil underscore gross. My, uh, my Instagram is at Gil gross underscore, although there's not that much going on there. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I might get better with that, but but for now, it's not awesome. Uh, just launched a TikTok, so look me up on uh, on TikTok. There's no content up yet, but that's kind of a new thing. Uh, but the biggest thing is YouTube. Uh, Gil Gross is uh, the name of my YouTube channel. And, uh, of course, that is uh, where you can find most of my Australian Open coverage. There we go. And, and before we get you out of here, can we get a bold prediction in tennis for 2023? Can be anything. I like it. Um Bold prediction. I wish I, uh, it's funny. I'm, it's almost like I'm not an enormous bold prediction guy. I, I, I'm realizing now, but, uh, (laughs) let's say, let's say this. I will say if I'm going to make a call on someone, let's go with Yannick Sinner wins the U.S. Open. Oh, that's pretty bold. It's the Italian job in Queens. That's pretty bold. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The U.S. Open has been an opportunity for, uh, uh, you know, new new major champions and and young players. And I think with with the season under his belt, Sinner is is improving very quickly. And that's kind of my – and I felt this way last year about Alcaraz with the U.S. Open. Same thing. I, I just feel like these young guys, they have a great chance in New York. Sinner would be that guy this year. All right. I like the sound of that. Maybe we can get him winning the U.S. Open and Anthony Rizzo let, let me winning do World Series MVP. <laughs> I'd, I'd love that. Oh, let me let me do a, a, a women's U.S. Open pick, though. Also, let's do Zhang Xinwen. All right. Zhang Xinwen, U.S. Open. Even more bold than Sinner, but she is she is tremendous. She is she is an she has uh, awesome weapons: serve, forehand, backhand, all enormous. Uh, and you know, physically, she's still kind of getting there, but she's going to be very, very dangerous. And I think maybe because, like, I don't know, she's not American. She's you know, flying a little bit under the radar. She's not Radu Kanu. She hasn't had yeah. that kind of run. Uh, flying a little bit under the radar, but she's she's really, really, really good. But you're look you're looking primarily at hardcore, hard server picks, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think both of them are are similar in the sense, you know, they they have really big games off the ground, but yeah. a lot of it is just playing that US Open trend where that's been the the major in the last couple of years where we can have kind of a, a funky champion and especially the younger players who are a little bit fresher come that time of year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Nice. All right. That's awesome. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.